and welcome to the City Grace Podcast. We're so happy you've decided to join us today as we learn how amazing it is to follow Jesus. Enjoy the message. Where there was Santa and Mrs. Claus and all of the elves, where they make toys, right? And that all sounds wonderful. And then you start to wonder, well, how in the world did they get all of that toys into one bag? Nobody else wondered that. Nobody else like got pen and paper and did some physics equations or nothing else at seven years old. To How in the world do all the toys make it into one bag? How in the world does the one bag fit in one sleigh with the one guy? How can the one guy lift the one bag, get it down one chimney into my one living room? And then that's just the problems that I have with one, right? How in the world does this happen? And then there's the other wonder, right? Like, I wonder if I'm on the good list or the naughty list. That's what you guys were wondering about at Christmas time, huh? Like, forget all the rest of it. You know, I don't know about that. But what I'm really wondering is if I'm going to get what I asked for or if I'm going to get a lump of coal. Anybody ever get a lump of coal for Christmas? My mom actually gave me a lump of coal for Christmas one time. Uh, I was in my 20s. But uh, it but what, what's interesting is we don't just like grow up kind of knowing about Santa Claus or these kind of things. We, we're told this, right? We are handed something to believe. We are handed something that kind of gives us things that we are told are true, but we don't really understand how they're true. And what we are told provides this framework for our wonder. And what we're taught creates this window through which we kind of view the events and seasons and circumstances of life, and it's through that window that we kind of see the world. And then, of course, outside of the whole Christmas one, you know, wonder and window and, and framework and all of that kind of stuff, stuff, we have a framework, we have a worldview or a viewpoint for life. And we're kind of given that. And what we're told about the way that life is supposed to work, it gives us the, the window and the framework through which we see the rest of the world. And it's through that framework, it's through that worldview that we decide what is important and, and not important in life, what's ideal and maybe what's painful in life, right? It's, it's through our framework that we judge things as right and wrong. It's through that framework that we kind of find the measures that we use to see ourselves and, and judge our own selves and, and whether or not we are in the good or, or in the bad. But as an adult, the thing is, we kind of go through life, and life happens to us, and as an adult, we lose some of the wonder of life, certainly in some areas, and, and, and certainly in, at least with Christmas and Santa Claus and those kinds of things. And I wonder, as adults, and, and this is what I wanted to ask everybody this morning, is do you wonder anymore? And if you do wonder, what do you wonder about? See, we used to wonder about Santa and Santa bringing us toys. And once we lost that wonder, it caused us to wonder something else, right? What we wonder now is, am I going to be able to afford to buy toys for those who still have the Christmas wonder? An old wonder kind of led to a new wonder. Some mysteries in life we figured out, but sometimes that just causes us new things in life to wonder about, right? And think about our, our, our times that we live in. Think about the last 10, 15, 19 years, right? Think about how our country, our culture has changed since people were worried about Y2K. Anybody remember the Y2K scare? I had to work overtime that night because we were worried about Sprint Cellular Network shutting down at Y2K. And so then there's all kinds of things that we could kind of fill in the blank with, right? Like, do you ever wonder 
about this? Do you ever wonder about that? Do you ever wonder about your job, about your home, about, about politics, or about your kid's future, or about the future in general? So, so do you ever wonder, fill in the blank? And of course, a lot of us would say, if we ever got into a kind of a one-on-one conversation with somebody that we trust, well, yeah, I wonder about a lot of things. There's a lot of things that are kind of up in the air. But here's the amazing thing about wondering that we kind of just assume and we don't ever really think about or wonder about, and that is that we all have the ability to wonder. We're like the only species that does this, right? And if you're a Christian like me, you kind of believe that God gave you this ability or this capability. If you're not a Christian or maybe not even a theist, you kind of have some kind of theory on your own. But what's what's undeniable is that all of us have this incredible ability to wonder about things to consider the future, to consider what might be or maybe what might not be. We all have this ability to wonder. And as we wonder about things, sometimes we we wonder our way to fear. Sometimes we wonder our way to joy. Sometimes we wonder our way simply to more wonder. And one of the reasons that we have more wonder or wonder on top of wonder is simply that our worldview, our framework through which we see life and experience life, it doesn't necessarily give us all of the answers. Sometimes it doesn't give us answers at all. It simply frames the questions about which we wonder in life. That worldview, that life framework actually defines the values and the players and the measures that cause us to wonder about life. And so as we wonder about things, and as we go through life and, and struggle with some things and experience some things, and you know, sometimes we figure some things out, but when we do, it's like our window, our worldview, our framework for life gets refocused. It gets shifted at times, right? It gets moved a little bit, and suddenly we, we, we used to consider things this way, but now after going through some things, I now see things from this angle. I see things from this point of view. And sometimes we figure some things out, but, you know, we see life with new perspectives. And with new perspectives, sometimes just comes more mysteries, which causes us to have more wonder. And this could be a life thing. This could be a knowledge thing. You know, for example, in school, not too very many years ago, although maybe beyond all of our lifetimes here, but in school, In science class, they taught, they had textbooks written for that described the existence of the steady state theory of the universe. Anybody remember the steady state theory of the universe? No. Nobody here remembers the steady state theory of the universe, right? During science class, you did what? You passed notes, right? Or you texted if you're a little bit younger, right? The steady state universe uh, theory of the universe basically said, hey, we wonder how we got here. And so us smart scientists, what we're going to tell everybody is we don't know how we got here. The universe has simply always existed as it is. There is no saying where it came from. There is no saying where, how, where or how it will all end up. But that was the framework through which previous scientists kind of approached all of their questions. As they considered the, the universe and space and stars and all of that, they, they kind of tried to pass everything through that framework, through that filter, through that way of seeing how everything existed, but it left them wondering about some things. And mathematically, it actually didn't work. Philosophically, even, it did not work. But, but the scientific community at that time held on to that idea of how everything came into existence or did not come into existence. See, this is, I can tell from some of y'all right now, this is why you pass notes during science class. Science class. Like, yeah, Jared, we get it. Okay, so 
So it caused them to wonder about things. And then in 1929, Edwin Hubble, anybody ever heard of the Hubble Space Telescope? Edwin Hubble came along in 1929, and he actually observed through a telescope that galaxies were expanding and actually separating from each other at increasing speeds, at greater and greater speeds, moving away from each other. And so if they were to reverse that model, then what they would see was everything coming together and eventually everything being at one point in time and in existence and in space being one point of matter, and they called it a singularity. And that happened in 1929. And when that came into existence, when that idea was proposed, it blew the whole steady state theory of the universe out of the water. Whole scientific textbooks had to be trashed and rewritten. Whole ways that science was taught in schools and and thought about in the scientific community. All of it got changed. In fact, Einstein was one of the ones that was just completely dumbfounded by this discovery. And he kind of didn't believe it. And Edwin Hubble actually went to Albert Einstein, drove him out to one of the observatories so that Einstein could see this for himself. And so this theory kind of dominated the scientific landscape up until the 60s and when it was actually kind of confirmed and they ran into cosmic microwave background radiation. And again, everybody's eyes are glazing over about right now that, you know, yes, with this idea and with what Hubble had told us about, we have to agree that the universe definitely had a beginning. And so a theory was born to explain that the universe had this point, this moment of singularity from which everything eventually came into existence. And in 1965, we know the birth of the Big Bang Theory. And some of y'all thought that was just a TV show on CBS that just ended a couple of years ago. No, it's a framework. It's a viewpoint. It's a worldview of how things got here and how things are and gives the, gave the scientific community new theories and new ideas and new questions and new things to wonder about. And that's just one example. And again, we all have a worldview, whether it's scientific or about life or about relationships or career or all of these kinds of things. We all have a worldview that helps us find answers to the things that we question, to the things that we wonder about. And for some of us, that worldview maybe isn't that well defined. Like maybe you couldn't come up here and share it with everybody else, you know, but it's what you use to determine in your life what is right and what's wrong, what's just and what's unjust, what's courageous and what's cowardly, what's fair and what's not fair, what things are important and what things are not important in life. That is your worldview. And your worldview will dictate how you believe and how you behave. And it's not necessarily how you do behave, but how you should behave, right? And how you hope and what you hope in. And we kind of inherit this. Nobody kind of just, you know, comes into the world having this. We inherit this. When we're small, people or events begin shaping how we approach these questions in life, these things in life that we wonder about, the window through which we see and process the circumstances, the relationships, and the events in our life. And if you're like me, you grew up with a religious worldview, right? And a religious worldview is, is just, you know, you definite have something that you can articulate and you can describe and, and kind of share with somebody about your, your view of God. Or maybe for most people, what we're finding out in kind of a post-Christian America in 2019 is that most people have that second one on the left there, a kind of religious worldview where religion is there, Religion is part of your family. Maybe your grandmother was really religious. Maybe your parents were really religious. You know, it's something kind of shadowy there. It's, it's tradition. It's calendar events. It's things on account. You know, it's places you go. It's there. You don't ask too many hard questions 
Or maybe you grew up in a family where academics was your worldview. What mattered most was schooling or what mattered most was intellect or, you know, how smart you were. And, and then maybe you grew up in a family or a context where scientific was kind of the dominant, or science was kind of the dominant idea that shaped and formed your worldview, right? You only believe in, you only live based on what can be proven or what can be seen under a mic- microscope. Or, or maybe your, your worldview was moralistic, that you judge people and you judge circumstances based on people's behavior, based on how they reacted. And how somebody behaved and how somebody reacts, well, that defines their worth. That defines who they are to me. Or maybe you were opportunistic, which is just like, YOLO. You only live once. You got to look out for number one because nobody else is going to look out for you. Maybe you kind of believed in karma, even though maybe you didn't use the word karma, which is that stuff happens for a reason. Or maybe you kind of grew up with a fate, a worldview that was defined by fate, which is stuff happens for no reason. It's just, it's just all fate. And, and we were given these worldviews as kids. Somebody or some things put these beliefs into us. And when we were kids, we, we adopted it. But then what happened is we became teenagers. And as teenagers, we all know what happened is we got smarter than our parents, right? And so we had adopted this when we were kids, but as we became teenagers, we started to adapt it, right? And then as we became adults, we realized just how how smart our parents really were. And so we re-adopted those worldviews and those traditions of our parents. But some of us, and some people we know, and some people that we love, not only adopted and, and then adapted, but eventually they abandoned their worldview. And why do people do this? Why do people feel the need to adapt their worldview or abandon their worldview? And the reason is because sometimes the worldview that we were handed, sometimes the worldview that we were given or we inherited doesn't match up with the experiences that we have lived. It can't explain the things that we go through. There are some things in life that happen that we have no context for and other people seem to have a context for. And so we start to shift our worldview. We start to shift what we believe is really going on. And and some things, because of what we believed, happened to us that just didn't make sense, that we couldn't explain, that we couldn't help, that we couldn't do away with. And when what we thought should happen didn't turn out to be what actually happened in life, it can leave us wondering. And we wonder. We wonder why. We wonder how. We wonder when. We wonder where. And it bugs us. And it hurts us. It disturbs us, right? Anybody ever believe something and found out that it just doesn't line up with reality? Anybody ever believed or hoped for something and it turned out that life just never even came close to going that direction? Why? Why is that the case? And it rocks us and it shakes us. And sometimes it can so obscure the path that we were on that not only, not only are we wondering, but eventually we find ourselves wandering. We wander. And the thing about wandering is we don't typically wander in good directions. We don't typically drift into good circumstances. And so for the rest of these, these next few series, I want to talk to those of us that maybe have wandered. I want to talk to people in here that maybe have drifted. Maybe you've drifted before. Maybe you're drifting now. But over time, life just did not line up with what you were taught. Life didn't align up. Your experiences, your relationships didn't line up with what you believed or maybe the way that church or religion or Jesus was presented to you. And so you eventually wondered. And then you eventually again wandered and you lost your faith. Your worldview 
was shaken or maybe it was shattered and you left it behind because it didn't work for what you experienced. Now, if this has ever been your experience, if this is you and your, you know, your life story that you grew up with some kind of religious framework or some kind of faith and then you left it, if you remember back to the first few like weeks or months or maybe even years of these things, or maybe it was when you went away to school or, or moved out or got a new group of friends, you know, maybe you were even defending, like you know, in my case sometimes, I can remember when, when times when I would be defending a Christian framework and a Jesus worldview that I grew up with. And during the time I'm defending it, I'm at the same time questioning what I'm defending. Like I've been there. That has been my experience. And maybe that's been yours as well, where you lay in bed at night and and you wonder again about things. There's new information that you learned. A new book that, that kind of shook the way that you understood everything. Questions that someone asked. Maybe something you saw. And at first, you had these tensions Because what you believed, but what you learned did not add up. They were at odds with each other. There was a dissonance there. And we didn't know how to resolve that. We didn't know what to do with that. And and at first it was just disturbing, but then over time it began to shake everything and you felt yourself leaving what you believed and drifting toward something else. And and at first it even felt maybe a little bit liberating, a little bit freeing, right? But then after the wandering, and this is the case with almost everybody, after the wandering comes the wandering, almost always. And it doesn't have to, and I would argue this morning that it shouldn't, but wandering so often leads to wandering. Because as we adopt and adapt into a new worldview, again, it changes what we believe, changes how we behave, and it changes the things that we hope for and the things that we hope in. It gives us a new perspective, a new way of processing life, and we change our behavior to line up with our framework. So as we get closer to Christmas, as I'm talking about this over the next few weeks, and we get closer to celebrating the birth of Jesus, I want to talk about some of our wondering and, and some of our wandering, and maybe, maybe invite you, as you go with us in this series, to put Jesus back at the center of your worldview. Because here's the thing, as you come closer to Christmas, you're not going to be able to avoid Christmas, right? You can decide what Christmas means to you or what it doesn't mean to you, but Christmas is here. And as you get closer to Christmas, I just want you to consider, I just want you to think about putting Jesus back into your worldview. Now, it doesn't have to be the worldview that you left. It doesn't have to be the frame of, or, you know, the framework for faith that, that you walked away from or the version of faith that you had when you were a kid or maybe that you thought you needed to defend when you went to college. But it, 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 is frame, it is a framework that's based and built around in Jesus. And, and some people we know, and maybe some people here think, you know, I, I don't know if I can do that. I don't know if I can put Jesus back at the center of my life. I don't know if I can order my world around Jesus anymore. Because somehow it seems as if putting Jesus back into serious consideration now means that I have to check my brain at the door. And this is a thing going on in colleges all over the, all over the country. That it's faith versus science. And you've got to pick which one you're going to use as your worldview. It's either God or it's science. It's your faith, it's creation, or it is evolution. All of these things. And, and, and you know, it, it's just all of these things where we think, well, if I'm going to believe in Jesus and accept Jesus and use him to, to frame my whole worldview, then I can't have science anymore. I can't reason anymore. I can't deal with proof and certainties anymore. We all know it requires faith, but some of us have had faith presented in such a way that faith leaves out reality. And that was never the case when Christianity first came into existence. It was never supposed to be divorced from reality. 
Christianity and faith is not supposed to be divorced from science. If there is a God, then he is the one that has created all of the rules and laws that define science. There's a way that all of it fits together. Or some of us think, well, I don't know if I can put Jesus back at the center of my worldview because if I put Jesus there, that means that I lose my freedom. And to some extent, this is actually true. But here's the thing about this. This isn't just true of a Jesus-centered worldview. No matter what worldview you have, you're going to have to say no to you and your wants at some point to completely adopt and adapt your life to the worldview that you have. Every single way of viewing the world has some oughts and some ought nots, some thou shouts and some thou shalt nots. Every person in every single worldview has regrets. What happened? They ran into something that was a no, but to them they did it anyway. So everybody, to some extent, gives up a freedom, gives up their freedom to embrace and to live within a worldview. So it's not a matter of whether or not you want to say no to you at some point. It's just a matter of who you're going to let say no to you. And here's the thing with trusting Jesus, and this is what I would argue to you. Why wouldn't we want to trust someone who's smarter than ourselves? Anybody want to trust somebody smarter than you? Come on, you locked your keys in your car last week. Do you really want to handle the great mysteries and deep, dark mysteries of life? You left foil on the burrito when you put it in the microwave. James, we talked about this before. James has locked his keys in his car with the car running. Two or three times, James. Only two? You're in church. Okay, only two. He says only two. We're going to go with it. Locked his keys in his car with the car running. James needs Jesus. <laughs> this is my brother. I need Jesus too. Hello. Why wouldn't we want to trust someone who's smarter than us when it comes to figuring out life? Think about all the things and ways that you used to see the world when you were younger that you have changed, you have gone back on. Hello. You used to hate broccoli, and now you eat it voluntarily. You used to hate kale, and we all still hate kale. That's, that, one's just, that one's not changing, right? You used to hate school. You used to hate education, and now you think it's probably the best way to open up opportunities in life. And so, hey, what if we're not right on our own? What if we get the serious things in life wrong? Why wouldn't we want to trust someone that's smarter than us, right? All of us have grown. We've expanded. We've matured. We've had different, you know, things come into our life, different not only dietary needs, but different relational needs, different expectations as we got older in life. Isn't it possible that the way that we have seen the world and lived within this world and approached and processed our world, isn't it possible that the way you see the world needs some tweaking by somebody who's just plain smarter than you. And if you're going to check in with someone who's smarter than you, wouldn't it be a good thing to ask, first of all, if even though you're smarter than me, are you for me? Are you for my good? Are you on my side? So don't you want someone who's not only smarter than you, but actually for you? What if you could find someone who's smarter than you, who has demonstrated his love for you in a way that's undeniable? So you see why I'm so big on Jesus. You see why I'm so big on Jesus. 
Because here's something that we all know about each other. You know this about me, and I know this about you, that our worldview is limited. The way that we see the world is constricted. When we were younger, we thought some people knew it all, but as we got closer to our heroes, the more flaws we saw, right? And the way that we see things might be a little bit clouded. It might be a little bit messed up. One author put it this way, now we see through a glass darkly. It's obscured. It's foggy. Can't quite make out what's on the other side. And, 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 and you know, what Christians believe, this is the thing, is we kind of look through this framework, look through this worldview, and process a life that's on the other side. Here's something that Christians believe, and I, 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 I'm sorry if no one's kind of ever explained it to you this way. Christians believe that as we stand on this side of that, that frame of reference through which we see the rest of the world, Christians believe that, yes, it's obscured, and yes, it's limited, and, and we can't see everything, we can't know everything, but Christians believe that God so loved the world, God so loved us, that onto this side of the glass, onto this side of the framework, onto this side of the window, he sent a person, he sent a someone to be a point of reference who knows everything on the other side, to be someone that is a true north for us, a way to see life and, and a way to interpret life's circumstances, someone that can help us go forward. This is what Christians believe about Jesus, and this is why Jesus is so at the center of everything that we do. And here's the thing. Some Christian authors talked about this, and, and Christian authors, were, you know, especially in the New Testament, their Bible's divided into two parts, right? The Old Testament, the New Testament, the Old Covenant, the New Covenant. And the New Testament, the new part of your Bible, these, these were written by witnesses who, who had seen Jesus and maybe talked with Jesus, or at least talked with those who had talked with Jesus, written within 30 to 60 years after the life and the public career of Jesus. And they had talked about things for just, you know, several years. And within that 30 to 60 years, they had actually written the eyewitness accounts down. Within the lifetime of the eyewitnesses, they wrote down the things that the eyewitnesses had seen and had experienced. And they shared these things and passed it all around to those who had believed in Jesus and believed that God was doing something in the world that was brand new through Jesus. And what they told us and what they share with us in the New Testament, I could sum it up as God not wanting to wait for us to discover what we might never discover on our own, but God instead, God instead interjecting into human history a point of reference. God sending into history a someone to be what we needed to have to see beyond the glass. So Christians believe this, and in that new part of your Bible, in what we call the New Testament, there's actually this one letter, this one document, it's actually more of kind of like a, a transcription of a sermon. It's actually more like a, a sermon or a message, and we call it Hebrews. And the reason we call it Hebrews is because nobody's really sure who wrote it. We just know that historically and archaeologically that all of the early Christians, all of the early Jesus followers somehow had copies of this thing, and, and they had passed it around and shared it with each other and, uh, you know, within the first century. But then by about the fourth century, all of the documents that we kind of find in our New Testament that had been kind of passed around and generally accepted among Christian circles, they were all gathered together and put together in what we call the New Testament. And then what they did is they took the New Testament, what we call the New Testament, and they took the Jewish Bible, and they put them together into one book, and they call that the Bible. And it's called Old Testament and New Testament. And we call it Old Testament, but Jewish people would just call it their Bible. 
But really, the New Testament was written for us and for Christians and for Jesus followers. But this letter comes along that we call Hebrews, and it was a first century sermon to first century Jewish Christians, Jewish people who believed that Jesus was the Jewish Messiah. Now look, I know that I'm, I'm laying a lot of framework this morning, okay? Y'all stick with me for a little bit, okay? We only got two more hours to go. I promise I'll let you be out of here. Jewish people believed that Jesus was their Messiah. Anybody know what Jesus' last name was? <laughs> Junior's laughing over there. It wasn't Christ. If anybody ever asked you what Jesus' last name was, it wasn't Christ. Christ is actually another word in another language for Messiah, Whenever you see Jesus Christ in your Bible, you can actually read Jesus the Messiah. So the Jews had this idea of a Messiah that was coming into the world. It was this rescuer king. It was this one that would come from God to put the world right, to bring justice and peace into the world, to forgive wrongs and to usher in God's new and redeemed world. When they would talk about their Messiah, there would be rejoicing and singing and celebration, and there would be rest and peace and, and love. You guys remember the angels at Christmas time who came to the shepherds and they told them, Peace on earth and God's good favor, God's goodwill toward mankind. Those weren't random words, they were echoing all of the Jewish ideas about a Messiah. So the angels were declaring God's Messiah is come in Jesus. The Jewish promises, the old prophetic promises, God's Messiah is on the scene. So for Jewish people in the first century to somehow believe that a man named Jesus who had been crucified on a cross by Roman soldiers was somehow their Messiah? Was somehow the one that was supposed to put the world right? That was supposed to bring peace and justice, and all of those things into the world. Well, there was some, that, that, that required some amazing faith on their part because a lot of people felt like the Jesus movement, movement should have been over. And I think that they had to have seen something in Jesus. I think they had to personally know someone maybe that had seen something in Jesus. And based on what they had seen, Based on their trust in what someone that they knew knew about Jesus, they now believed, in fact, that Jesus was the Christ. Jesus was the Messiah who had shown up on the scene. And so these people are now Christians. And Hebrews is a document written to these Jewish Christians. But over time, they had begun to lose hope. They had begun to lose faith. Their worldview that Jesus, that had shifted, that Jesus was now the Messiah, it had begun to be shaken because they were under intense persecution and hardship. And so the preacher or the author of Hebrews is writing to tell them, don't abandon your faith in Jesus. Don't give up hope that he is the Messiah. And here's why. It comes down to something that's so, so powerful. In Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 14, he said, therefore, since... We have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven. And they knew, of course, all about a high priest because under their old religious system, they had had priests that went between them and God. And so the author is saying, since we now have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith that we possess. Now get this. You guys ready to hear what he's saying? No, you're not ready. Okay, let me tell you what he's not saying. He didn't say, therefore, since everything is going great in your life. Therefore, since everything in your life makes sense. 
Therefore, since you're all doing well, you have everything you need, you have more money than you know what to do with, you're never sick, you're not heartbroken, you have no more questions, you have no more doubts. Therefore, since everything makes perfect sense all the time, you should keep following Jesus. You should keep believing that Jesus is the Messiah. No, that's not what he says. He's saying, in essence, even though your worldview even though your framework for processing life and what you're going through is being shaken right now, don't give up hope because Jesus. And then he kind of pauses and he, he kind of picks this up in Hebrews chapter 12 and he says these, you know, kind of opens with these same words Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud, of witnesses, and you got to understand this is Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. In Hebrews chapter 11, he's just given this long list of Jewish faith heroes, starting with Abraham and going through all of these other men and women from the Old Testament. People believed that starting with Abraham, that God had given a promise to the world, that God was going to step into the brokenness and the darkness of the world and set everything right. Men and women who had lived their life looking through that window seeing everything, processing everything through that worldview, through that way of seeing everything that was going on. He's telling them, don't give up hope. And here's why. Because we have all of these witnesses, men and women, who believe that God was going to rescue the world, but never actually saw it happen in their lifetime. And the Hebrews author, the preacher of the sermon is saying, look, since those men and women ordered their whole life by what they believed, and they had never seen Jesus, then we who are on this side of Christmas, we who are on this side of Jesus showing up in the world, we who have actually seen Jesus, or we who actually know people who have seen Jesus, we've seen the ones he healed, we've talked to the, to the ones that have had miracles done, we've heard his words, we saw him resurrected from the dead. Since those old timers never gave up their hope and they never saw Jesus, then we who can now look back on what has actually happened in Jesus, we should not give up hope. We should not give up hope because of Jesus. You saw him alive, and you saw him at work, and then you saw him crucified, and then you've seen him alive again. And all of this had been shared around the Christian world. And he tells them, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders our trust in Jesus, everything that is obscuring us from even getting to the window that is defined and framed around Jesus. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin, the oughts and the ought-nots with whatever worldview you have, the oughts and the ought-nots that so easily entangles us, that keeps tripping us up. And then he goes on in the rest of that verse and he says, and let us run with perseverance the race that is marked out for us. In other words, there is a framework that has been marked out for you. There is a way of seeing the world and living this life and experiencing this life that has been created for you. This framework for life, this way of seeing the world, this new true north that we have received in Jesus, it's not a philosophy. It's not just a teaching. It's not even just a perspective. But what he is saying to them and what he would say to us if he was here this morning is that it is a person. It is a person. It is the person of Jesus 
Christ. And so Jewish believers, so those who have been waiting as people for centuries have waited, but now stand on the other side of Christmas. Now you have seen what God had said that he was going to do. Now that you're starting to lose focus and starting to shift your perspective and the way that you're seeing the world is kind of being shaken right now, I am calling you back to attention. I'm calling you back to focus on this one thing, not on a book. I am not calling you back to focus on a philosophy. I am not calling you back to focus on 10 commandments or 11 commandments, or as the Jewish people believed, 613 commandments. I'm not calling you back to focus on a church. I'm not calling you back to focus on a pastor or a priest, but on one single person. Let us run with perseverance, this race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. On Jesus. On Jesus. See, here's what I know. Here's what I believe about most of us here. Most of us that grew up, even with a semi kind of religious worldview, when we were Christians as kids or as young people, we, we, we believed in church or we went to church. Maybe we went to mass. Maybe we knew a priest or knew a pastor. Maybe we went to camp or we attended church sometimes with friend or friends or with family. We had some kind of religious background that's kind of just loosely hung over us throughout our life. And it doesn't matter how tightly put together it is, how much of it you can explain or how loose some of it is, but probably the religious framework that you were given the religious framework that you were handed, maybe fix your eyes on a pastor or a priest, right? Some spiritual holy man or maybe a spiritual holy woman, right? Although it's usually just the men. And, and you're supposed to listen to them and they are the voice of God in your life. Maybe your framework focused on church Attendance was a big thing. You need to give lots of money to the church. And if you want to give lots of money, that's fine. But, uh, but church is the thing. Belonging to a church, going to church, living by the rules of the church, that's what your focus is on. Or maybe your focus is on the Bible, but the Bible is confusing and you're not really sure if you understand it, but you better believe it all and you better practice it all to the best of your ability. But it didn't really seem like it had helped you. You've been through experiences and you've been through times and tests and pains and just seasons of life where the Bible itself did not seem enough. That's weird for a pastor to stand up here and say, isn't it? But it's the truth. Or maybe the way that you were brought up taught you to focus on an experience. Maybe it was something you experienced at a camp. Maybe it's something you experienced up at an altar one time. Or maybe in a different context, it was a confirmation or some time where somebody shook your hand and welcomed you and said, you are now part of the church. You are now a Christian. You focused on that experience. Something felt maybe in a moment of emotion that you felt. And, and so, you, you know, life or being a Christian or following Jesus was all about trying to chase that feeling. Or maybe you focused on the worldview that was given to you caused you to focus on circumstances. Like what good is going on in your life? What bad is going on in your life? And if there are good things going on in your life, then God must be pleased with you. Or if there's bad things, then you must not be praying right or, or fasting enough, right? None of us ever fast enough. But whatever the worldview that was handed to us, whatever the religious framework, what people realize over and over, and maybe this is your experience, that we were focused on a something and it didn't work. 
Whatever your religious framework that you walked away from, you were focused on a thing and it didn't have all of the answers. You focused on a thing and it wasn't enough. It wasn't captivating. It was confusing. You were told it was going to be your everything and it just seemed to be really, really elusive. And none of this was done with bad intentions. It just naturally happens. And and what we see happening in the first century with this Jewish audience and what we see happening in the 21st century is that people lose sight of what the preacher of Hebrews is trying to refocus their attention to and what he wants to refocus our attention to. And what he tells us is, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. Because it doesn't matter what your previous church experience was. Focusing on a church, sometimes it's not going to help you. It doesn't matter how many scriptures you read. Sometimes those scriptures on their own don't seem to be enough. But if you can fix your eyes on Jesus, Jesus is the thing. Jesus is the one. Because think about it. Christianity did not begin with a church. Christianity did not begin with a book. Christianity did not begin with a philosophy or even a theology. Christianity did not even begin with a pastor or priest the way that we think of pastors and priests. Christianity began with a person. The one that when the fullness of time had come, when the world was ready and everything was set in order, that as humanity stood on this side of the window frame and humanity was trying to figure out how do we navigate this life and this existence, that God sent someone to our side of the window frame, that God sent someone into our confusion who brought wisdom, that God sent someone into our darkness and he brought the light. In fact, he is the light of the world. And Jesus stands among everybody else as light and brilliance and radiance and the love of our creator God fully on display. He's the wisdom of God. He's the strength of God. He's the power of God. He is the grace of God given to humanity. And So the writer of Hebrews tells us, let us run with perseverance, the race that is marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. Look, the pioneer, the one that blazed a trail where there was no trail, the one that gave hope when there was no hope, the one that gives understanding where there is no understanding, who brings light into the darkness. And he's not just the beginning of this worldview, but he is the pioneer and the perfecter of faith. He makes your faith complete. He makes your faith without gaps. He makes your understanding without error, without need to, needing to be reconsidering. And then he goes into something, this author does, that we have had so sanitized and just kind of predified through life. We, in the 21st century, we've never seen a crucifixion. We've never experienced it, right? The death that exists there, the the dead bodies that are left to hang until they started to fall apart. 
the pools of blood that had run down into the dirt and started to coagulate and begin to smell. And there was that nasty iron taste in the air. We've never seen men naked and beaten and nailed horrifically to a wooden cross with spikes sticking out of their flesh as they hung there, suffocating to death, drowning in their own blood and fluid in their lungs. We've never seen the birds and the animals come and pick at the dead bodies or maybe the bodies taken down and thrown into carts and dumped into a garbage dump where they were eaten by scavengers or burned. We have never seen that. We have never experienced that. We have never smelled that. But those first century Jewish believers had They had seen it happen countless times to tons of young Jewish men around the time of Jesus. And the author of Hebrews knows this. And he tells us, for the joy that was set before him, Jesus endured the cross. You know what the cross means, Jewish believers. You know the horror of it. You have smelled it. You have recoiled at it. You have covered your children's eyes. You have covered your own mouth and gasped. And Jesus looked at the spectacle of death that was crucifixion on a cross. But he saw you and me on the other side of that glass. That his worldview was framed by his love for you and for me. And here's the awesome thing, not even the best version of you and me, but he loved us while we were still far from God. He loved us while we were still confused and broken and sinning and hurting and injuring and doing all of the evil that has defined so much of our lives. He found us as we were, but he loved us too much to leave us there. And so he came into the world and he counted it a joy to go through the suffering of the cross, and he died for you and for me, for the joy that was set before him. He endured the cross, scorned its shame. He sneered at the spectacle of the cross, and now sat down at the right hand in his figurative language, saying that his pursuit of joy through suffering, this is the power of God. This is the power of God. On display. And so the Hebrews author would say, so Jewish believers who are in the first century and Christian believers in the 21st century, and he's starting to pull us back in, calling us back to that Jesus-centered word, worldview, that Jesus-centered way of seeing life and processing life. And he tells them, and he tells you, and he tells me, as you begin to look through everything that's happening in your life, and you can't quite figure everything out, And you're not sure if you should shift your worldview or shift your perspective. You're not sure if you need to adapt your faith or maybe even abandon the faith that you were handed. I want you to do one thing. And he says in verse 3, consider him. Consider him. Look at Jesus. Consider him or maybe reconsider Think about him. Consider his life. Don't just look at your own life. Consider his teachings. Don't just consider the things that maybe you were taught. Consider him, not that. Consider him, not there. Consider him, not an it, not a them, not the pain, not the confusion, not the disappointment, but consider Jesus. Consider Jesus. 
Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Consider him who endured such opposition from the people that he came to help, those that he came to rescue. Consider him so that you will not grow weary, so that you will not lose heart. And if you have ever walked away, if you have ever drifted, if you have ever wondered about some things and then you found yourself wandering, just maybe today that you would think back and say with me that as I look back at my life and I realize where I began to wonder and where I began to question and where I began to doubt and and where I began to kind of drift away, when I was looking through my framework and, and my worldview, when I was trying to figure things out, I realize now that my focus had shifted. At the center of the way that I saw everything, it wasn't Jesus anymore, but it was something else. Maybe it was someone else. Maybe it was prayers that you prayed that they never got answered. More than one prayer that you prayed and it never got answered. And you begin to focus on that one thing. He says, consider Jesus. Put Jesus back in the middle. Maybe it was when your parents got a divorce. Maybe it was when your dad left. Maybe it was when you got diagnosed with something even though you'd been living right, right? I'm doing all the right things. I'm I'm saying all the right things. I'm going to all the right places and staying away from the wrong ones. And then this happens to me. I don't deserve this. And that thing became the center. That thing became became the thing that caused you to wonder and caused you to doubt and caused you to look away. And the author of Hebrews would say to you and he would say to me, Have you considered Jesus? Have you put Jesus back in the middle of everything that you believe and everything that you see and everything that you're struggling with and wrestling with? You lost your job. Dishonest people kept theirs. He left you alone. She left you all alone. And when that happened, you wondered. You wondered. And you wondered. And eventually, you wandered. So I want to ask us this morning. I want to ask you this morning. What was your faith fixed on before you lost it? Who was the center of your faith? What was the object of your faith before you walked away? If you experienced those horrible things, and don't get me wrong, they are horrible, horrible things. If you walked away from faith, if you walked away from church or following Jesus, maybe you didn't even walk away. Maybe just you found out over time that you had drifted away. Maybe you didn't become like a full-on atheist, but you just... You're not really sure what you believe anymore. You, you, just, you just know that you have doubts that all of it could be true. And I just want to ask you, what were you trusting in when you started drifting away? Who were your hopes resting on before the whole thing crumbled? Because see, if you lost your faith, if you've left faith, if you've walked away from Jesus, I, I have a hunch. I think it could be that maybe you didn't believe in Jesus. Maybe you believed in church. Maybe you weren't trusting in Jesus. Maybe you were trusting in a holy book. Maybe your confidence wasn't in Jesus, but in another man or another woman. You leaned on a practice, maybe. You had a one-time experience or a forgotten experience or maybe many experiences, but your faith began to rest on the experience, and you forgot about the one whose spirit had given you that experience. And are you sure? Are you certain As you consider everything that's going on, are you sure that you paused and you pushed everything else to the background and put Jesus front and center? And when everything began to be shaken, are you sure 
that it wasn't Jesus that was at the center. And the author would say to us, the preacher would say to us, consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Consider him and you won't grow weary, you won't lose heart. For more information about City Grace, you can find us online at citygrace.church. We'll see you next week.